I'm Allie Weiss, and I'm obsessed with the people, ideas, and experiences that break the rules, beat the odds, or are considered socially unacceptable. And this is season four of Tales of Taboo. Each week, I gather anonymous confessions from my listeners around the world who've existed in elusive subcultures, ventured down the road less traveled, made serious mistakes, and achieved extraordinary victories. Some of them call my hotline, and others will send written stories for me to read. These confessions are raw, they're honest, they're even downright shocking sometimes, but they always deliver the most incredible life lessons and encourage us to consider why we're all so afraid to be different. And for season four, I'm introducing a brand new twist. I'm starting each episode with my own, no holds barred, on the record confession about the topic we are discussing. This week, it's the world of ethical non-monogamy. Let's get into it. I've never had a non-monogamous relationship, at least not one that I was aware of and consented to, but I do contemplate it often. As someone whose professional life and interests are chaotic and unstable and often dramatically untraditional, a traditional domestic life deeply appeals to me. I love the idea of finding my person and falling and staying in this sacred, life-affirming two-person love. I love the idea of having an anchor, a pillar of consistency, you know, someone I can depend on with whom I can build something to depend on. But I'm placing emphasis on the word idea. I think romantic lifelong love is realistic, absolutely, but Just as deciding to be in a relationship is a choice, deciding to keep that relationship alive emotionally and sexually is also a choice, and it's hard, sometimes even devastating work. There is, and always has been, so much cultural discussion about finding a partner and very little discussion about the realities of what it takes to maintain a partnership. Like any living, breathing, shape-shifting thing, relationships need to be fed and watered and exercised and oxygenated, and yet there's this fairy tale narrative of living happily ever after and the supposed peace and comfort that are marketed as a result of a nuclear family. And I think it's kind of brainwashed us into thinking that romantic relationships are the one thing that should be simple within a very complicated world. Despite the fact that, you know, duh, every human being and their circumstances are so different, monogamy is seen as the blueprint for a happy life or rather the only way to have a truly happy life. So there's this assumption that anyone who strays from it must have emotional problems or be a sick, sex-addicted psycho. The whys and hows in the stories from our anonymous, ethically non-monogamous and polyamorous confessors Very, very greatly, but something mentioned across the board is the conflation of monogamy and dishonesty, or feeling as though the traditional relationship structure doesn't offer space for radical honesty and the communication of one's needs. And I thought that was interesting. And kind of honestly, I get it. So, My most recent relationship was the most open and comfortable and accepting partnership I've been in since I was a teenager. But even then, I still had hesitations about vocalizing certain needs or asking my boyfriend point blank about his. Why? Well, I was so in love with him and didn't want to do anything to make him judge me or scare him off or potentially jeopardize his presence in my life. 
there were also definitely times where I was afraid of any potential discomfort or disappointment that his response to those needs could potentially trigger, which would bring a dose of hard reality into what felt like an amazing escape from it. This was the first time I was experiencing real reciprocal love in about four years and healthy love in about eight years. And I saw so much potential. Of course, I didn't want to say or do anything that might screw that up. But unsurprisingly, what ended up leading to the majority of our fights was the information that I withheld and the assumptions I made about how he felt rather than asking him and being passive aggressive in situations that easily could have been resolved with a quick, straightforward conversation. And the same thing happened on his side too, many times. Our mutual desire to protect the relationship and also ourselves through evasion ended up having the complete opposite effect. And I've come to learn it's a lot easier to forgive someone for saying something rather than the things that they didn't say. I'd also like to note that women are also overwhelmingly conditioned to believe that their primary purpose or the way to feel complete is to find a boyfriend who will hopefully eventually become a husband and then the father of their kids. And in this search, women are conditioned to believe that getting a man to want to be and also stay in a relationship with them involves a lot of mystery and intrigue during courtship and not applying pressure or being the one to bring up anything too serious because you want to present yourself as not like being any other girls. If you really break this down, what you're doing is not being honest about your needs. But then once the man is committed and, you know, you've been together for a while, then you pressure him maybe out of left field into marriage and eventually fatherhood. Even if he previously said that that wasn't necessarily something he wanted. And this is crazy when you really think about it. Like, what? You know, I had many situationships throughout my 20s where I was constantly playing mental games as part of peacocking or courtship or whatever. But in retrospect, they were all deeply toxic situations with no real lasting power in which I chose to ignore many red flags. And since then, I've come to realize that if the situation is actually a correct fit, you won't feel icky or uncomfortable or feel the need to posture or change or like withhold. And this is what is so compelling about ethical non-monogamy, but also why it's kind of counterculture. Because in order for it to be successful, it's required to have a very sharp knowledge of your needs and your boundaries and a willingness to communicate or even over-communicate them. You have to think about what you're not okay with and what you are okay with and what hurts your feelings and what triggers jealousy. It's that specific shameless transparency that is what makes the dynamic ethical. Although my recent relationship was one in which I finally felt safe to ask for what I needed, that doesn't mean that all of those needs were actually able to be met by just him all of the time. You know, after all, one person cannot be everything. And logically, I, we all know this, it's impossible for one person, one partner to flawlessly play every single role in your life. Best friend, passionate lover, passionate romancer, therapist, confidant, adventure buddy, you know, and even down the line, like parent. When I'm single, I have zero qualms about sourcing providers of these needs from various places. Like, it's just what you do. But historically, when I decide to be in a relationship, I then expect this one person to take over all of those responsibilities. And I'm disappointed when they can't. It's a very quick, very strange mental shift that can make it difficult to recognize myself. And so here's my thesis about that. I think it's less about actually needing one person to fulfill those roles and more about what movies and TV and books and 
our parents and even our friends have continuously said makes a good partner versus a bad partner. In my opinion, the pressure that we quietly or not so quietly put on our partners and relationships has a lot more to do with the quote unquote norm and societal expectation and comparison than it does with satisfying our own needs. Whereas when multiple partners are involved in a relationship, there is no societal expectation anymore. And so I have to imagine the expectation for just one person to fill every need and void evaporates. Happiness and purpose and a sense of stability are sought within oneself, which is definitely not an easy journey, but ultimately it is the better one. I'll admit it, like I am embarrassed to look back and reflect on the times that I wasn't straightforward with my ex-boyfriend or I put pressure on him because of the pressure other people in my life were putting on me. And there's plenty that I'm still upset with him for too, but isn't that what relationships should be about? To get to experience yourself from another point of view and have the opportunity to learn and grow and change in the company of another person, even if, especially if I should say, it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I think so. And yet so many of us fall prey to the idea that a relationship's purpose is just to find an anchor that grounds you and to partner up for the purposes of not having to die alone. It's not ethical for me to make one sweeping overarching statement about polyamory and non-monogamy and the people who choose to practice it. But there are two conclusions I think I can confidently make. One is that monogamy may be the cultural norm, but it's absolutely just as much of a choice as non-monogamy is. Both of these lifestyles require care and effort, and they'll die if they're treated with laziness and disregard. And the second point is that especially amongst young people, honesty and open communication in monogamous relationships needs to be rebranded, quite frankly, to be seen as sexy rather than a buzzkill. And if this was the case, maybe then we wouldn't be so floored by the ever-rising divorce rates. As always, I would love to hear your questions, concerns, or responses, however complicated to this topic. I would also love to hear about your own experiences with non-traditional relationship or sexual dynamics. You can reach me to chat or spill your guts at confessions at AllieWeissWorld.com. As a reminder, nothing is off limits here. And now, without further ado... This is Tales of Taboo. I am 34, and I was 26 when I stumbled upon the world of ethical non-monogamy. I was born deep in the heart of Texas and was raised in a very conservative Christian home. And despite the values my family tried to instill in me, I rebelled against that conservative lifestyle and was quite the party animal up until college. And by the time I reached that part of my life, I realized, you know, I need to hunker down and get serious about my studies and get my shit together. So I moved to Colorado. I declared a major in social work and gave up alcohol and drugs and wait for it. I rewrapped my gift, as we say in the church, and did not fuck for two and a half years. I did not drink or do drugs for five and a half, but I could only give up sex for two and a half. I did definitely sneak in some masturbating, though, which I had some guilt over, but I just couldn't give it up. By the time I was out of college, I had exclusively dated men in those years. I had stopped dating women, which I had done in high school and middle school, and given up my queer identity and had just resigned to being a good Christian Sunday school teacher who's found a good man to marry pump out a bunch of babies, and devoted her life to social work in the Lord. And, you know, all of that looked great on paper. It sure made my family happy, but I just felt so stifled. I felt so just unhappy because I just knew that I was being somebody I wasn't. And I was really sick of living under this dogma of the church and feeling guilty for liking women and feeling guilty for fucking being horny. 
and feeling guilty for just wanting to live my life and, and feeling just ashamed of things that felt natural to me. And so I dumped my college boyfriend, who I should mention, owned a vacuum and sewing machine store. That was his career outside of college and told me I could not wear red lipstick because it was slutty. So I went from that to joining the sex industry and balancing my life between sex work, nonprofits, and finding the world of ethical non-monogamy during this time. And I think being a sex worker and also at this time becoming really open and honest about my queer identity and openly dating women and downloading apps like Serender and going to house orgies and from there going on to clubs and just all of this combined was just radically transformative for me. I was able to heal my relationship with a higher power. I was able to feel affirmed in my queerness. I no longer felt guilty for being slutty uh, because now I was getting paid for it, but I also was able to have a successful job in the nonprofit field. Everything just came together all at once. And I really do owe a lot of that to ethical non-monogamy and just having this community where I just didn't feel fucking ashamed to be who I really was. As far as feeling judgment from family and friends, you know, my friends are fucking amazing. If they're not sex workers, they're in the queer community, they're radical community organizers. You know, I, I do have a couple vanilla friends that have normal nine to fives, pretty straight laced lives, but they're amazing and they love me for who I am. And for anybody else that judges me or judges my lifestyle, they just don't take the time to get to know me. They read things in the media about being poly or being a sex worker or any of those identities, and they just assume the worst. And, you know, if you really just sat with me and you got to know me and my partners and my lovers and my friends, you would see that we're all really badass humans and that polyamory or ethical non-monogamy really is just about connection and not feeling limited in who we connect with. The way I navigate feelings of jealousy, possessiveness, fear of losing my partner, you know, all these things are totally normal. It's just about communicating and not being afraid to just speak up. And I think you just really have to know yourself and really be in connection with who you are and know your feelings. Some of the biggest differences I feel between monogamy and polyamory are really just making sure you're not overextending yourself. I'm extremely extroverted and I have a lot of love to give, but I also need a shit ton of downtime. And so for me, it's about quality connections and not quantity. It would be very easy to fill up my Google calendar with a date a night if I wanted to, but that just wouldn't serve the purpose I need for this lifestyle, which is connection. And to me, it's about the people I really enjoy spending time with. Um, some of those people are play partners. Some of those people are friends that I just enjoy fucking. Some of those people are lovers, which to me are the perks of a partner without the commitment or the emotional responsibility. And some of those people are partners that like we are building a life together. And there's so much gray area in between all of that. And you just really have to know who are these people to you, making sure you're on the same page with them, making sure that you are just not overextending yourself. And you're also just not using people to fill a void. I think that's another big thing because, you know, it's so easy to just fill your calendar up with people and you just want to make sure that you're dating for the right reasons and you take a break when you need a break. So I guess that is similar to monogamy in a way. And I think another big misconception is people just think that we do this because we're horny and we want to fuck. And yeah, that's awesome. And I definitely do that. There are times where I go to play parties and I just get passed around like a hot potato. But I'm also in this because I love people and I love connecting. And I never want to cut myself off from the multitude of connections I can have with people all over the world. And I don't ever want to cut off my partners from that either. I feel like love is infinite and I never want someone to feel limited in how much love they can receive and give. It's all about just being honest with what we're available for and making sure everybody's on the same page. And I think I'll be poly till the day I die. I really can't imagine going back to 
the way I used to do things. I don't want to limit who I date, what gender they are or lack thereof. And I just want to stay open and see what happens. I am a bisexual cis woman. I'm 30 years old. My partner, who I broke up with a few months ago, he is still a straight cis man. He's still alive. And we started being ethically non-monogamous together uh, when I was 28 um, and he was 36. So we tried non-monogamy because he was just coming out of a five-year-long relationship in which he was engaged to the person. And when we started dating, you know, he was not ready for anything serious. You know, he kept saying as we were dating, like, slow and casual, slow and casual. And really the only thing that was, like, slow and casual about what we were doing was him saying that. I remember after a few months of that, I was like, listen, I am totally here for you needing to take this space. It's just not what I want. I want to be in a relationship. And a few days later, he was like, listen, I do want to, like, commit to this in some way. I'm really not ready for monogamy would you be open to trying non-monogamy? And neither of us had ever done non-monogamy before, but we gave it a go and we like read a bunch of books. We read like The Ethical Slut. We read Opening Up. Yeah, and just slowly, I think like started kind of moving into like the ENM community a little bit in New York, which feels often very like adjacent to like the kink community. Yeah, and my partner was like really into dating. I'm not really, if I like meet someone in person, I'm totally like down but, you know, my partner was, I don't want to say the opposite, but like he was just having a grand old time and, uh, and he loved apps. He loved going out and meeting people. He's super extroverted. And I found that really, really hard, you know, and remember having a lot of like nights at home alone, knowing he was out on a date and struggling because it often meant with him that like if he went on a date, he was probably going to sleep with the person, even like on the first date, second date, whatever. And you know, it took me a little while to sort of come around to that and to sort of move into compersion a little bit more, you know, which is this idea of like being happy for someone else's happiness kind of turned south after a little bit. Maybe a year into dating, my partner met someone who he ultimately had really strong feelings for. And I remember that he sort of like told me like, oh, I'm, I matched with this person who's pregnant on field and um, I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be really interesting. So I'm a birth doula. And I remember at the time being like, oh, cool. Like, that's super interesting. And I remember even saying things like, you know, if you guys end up having a sexual relationship, like, wow, that, that's going to be so interesting for you. And then, you know, they met and they actually really hit it off and saw each other pretty regularly. And she was about his age. So like, you know, eight years older than me. And over time, I just felt like overcome with, I don't know if it was even jealousy, but it's more of like insecurity. Little things would happen. Like we would, my partner and I would be having like a great night out together. And he'd be like, oh my God, you know, she told me this really funny story that you would love. And I just would melt. I wished so badly that I could be happier for him and just think of that as a fun story. And, you know, like, I'm so happy to hear that you heard this fun story. I don't even know. And I remember talking to our couples therapist and him being like, you know, there's no such thing as being good at this or like no one is good at this. And you need to stop pretending that at some point all this jealousy is just going to end because it's not going to. What became really interesting is, you know, like this eight month pregnant person turned into a person who had a newborn. And, you know, like I think it was just really wild to me, like hearing that my partner was like having sex with someone who was pregnant. And I remember feeling like, fuck, like I really wish that that you were having that experience for the first time with me because you know we had talked about having kids and everything and as we were spending more time with her and her newborn my partner sort of moved from being like yeah like definitely I want to have kids like oh like marriage great um to sort of being like you know like I don't really know about marriage and like what if we sort of like made a commune kind of thing where like we joined their family in a last-ditch effort to make everything work, an apartment opened up across the street from this person, and I moved in. And I was like, we're doing the commune. And listen, it's a really nice apartment, and it's really cheap, so I don't regret it. But I am now still living across the street from her and watch him come and go all the time. I eventually was like, I just hate who I am right now in this relationship. I hate feeling this anxious and insecure all the time. I mean, I think at its best in our polyamorous relationship, 
I loved being able to walk into any social situation, like a bar, you know, go out dancing, or it's like, I don't know, just hanging out with friends or whatever, and feeling like I could explore all different parts of what like the conversations I would be having that night could be. You know, I think when I was in monogamous relationships, I would go into social situations and be sort of like, okay, great. Like I'm going to talk to people and get to know them. But at a certain point, like a wall is going to go up. And I think that in monogamy, there are like so many rules that exist. And, you know, in non-monogamy, there are boundaries too. Like there is such a thing as cheating in non-monogamy, but it feels like pretty stagnant a lot of the time with monogamy and that it's like, you're not able to like talk about, hey, like I had this conversation with this person who I'm really into. I think I want to go on a date with them. And I'm like, I don't know, like they were talking about being interested in this kinky thing. And I really want to explore that with them. How does that make you feel? Like it's, and you know, it's hard sometimes. And I think sometimes my partner would ask me those questions and I would just like become catatonic for five minutes. But, you know, I so appreciated that I was able to have those conversations at all. You know, and as time went on, we were having fun. I would say it was mostly like more of an open relationship than a polyamorous one. But I'm seeing someone else now who is not interested in polyamory. Frankly, I'm not super interested in polyamory right now either. I feel like I have some healing to do. A lot of the just like high pressure anxiety that existed in that relationship. But, you know, maybe it's something that will happen down the line. And maybe that just wasn't the right person for me. I'm 68 years old, and I've been poly since 2016 when I met my partner on Bumble. On our first date, she was very open about having been a stripper in New York City, New Orleans, and Las Vegas. She's bisexual and has been poly since her teens. When we first met, she was also using seeking arrangements as a way to identify other open relationships that she might be interested in. For me, I had been divorced for a year when we met. And I had no desire to be in a monogamous relationship after that. I had been in a 20-year relationship that just drained me. My ex-wife suffered from chronic depression. In the last five years of our relationship, I became a caretaker from someone with low self-esteem who was suicidal from day to day. Um, Then, you know, I found a note in her jeans when I was getting the laundry collected and uh, saw a love letter from her to one of her high school friends celebrating their 25th date. So when I showed it to her, she said, I wish you hadn't have found it that way, but there was no apology, no remorse at all. So I wish I had found polyamory when I was younger. Uh, I've never been, I've never been jealous about my wife or any girlfriends and friends flirting with other men. Um, You know, it doesn't upset me that my ex had an affair. I divorced her because she wasn't honest about it. But initially when I realized that polyamory, ethical non-monogamy was where I wanted to live. I was both excited, concerned, and found myself fighting my own unexplainable jealousy in the poly world. First of all, I really only have time right now to dedicate to one woman. I'm the CEO of a disruptive startup and time for me, you know, has been a precious commodity, at least until I found ayahuasca, but that's, that's another story. Um, I was concerned about how people would feel about a then 61-year-old dating a bisexual sex worker 20 years younger than me. Um, I felt I had to justify it to people by saying, oh, I've never dated someone 20 years younger than me, which is true. I don't go to strip clubs, which is true, although for no particular reason. And, and you know, but I, I have utilized sex workers, though that's not a problem to me, and I've enjoyed by time and will continue to take advantage of the openness of my relationship with my primary. We had one blessed evening together with a tantric woman who joined us for an evening of fun. That was, that was pretty good. But with regard to jealousy, I was jealous the first three months of my relationship with my primary partner, spending time with two or three of her other boyfriends until I came to the realization that you really can't be jealous and polyamorous. Compersion is a term that's used in polyamory, which is a space that doesn't, you know, have any, any room for jealousy. So it, it just doesn't work any, any other way if you're truly committed and transparent. Speaking frankly, I've lost many of my friends over time that didn't approve of me being poly, didn't approve of me being in a relationship with a sex worker and fuck them. It's their problem. On the topic of to- uh, polyamory and primary, secondary, or tertiary partners, it's really up to the primary and their partner to live by the rules that they 
apply to their own relationship. For us, we agree that we're, you know, we're not interested in the quote open relationship that, that doesn't have an emotional connection. Having an emotional connection is imperative to, to, to both of us. And I think the biggest misconception that I see in the poly ENM space is, is that whole drawn the line between what an open relationship and what a poly ENM, you know, relationship is. She has a much greater capacity than I do. She has three to four other relationships equal in nature. So with no priority, we also agreed that all sex outside of our relationship needs to be covered. That one got a bit tricky for me when six weeks after she got back from a vacation with one of her paramours, um, she said she thought she was pregnant. Well, that created a lack of trust that I'm still working through from a perspective of STDs. For me, I've been open to another relationship and have had a few opportunities to convert from more casual relationships into an intimate relationship. But I just haven't found that there was enough in those, in those dates to commit to a relationship in the whole. So I do believe that I have the capacity to completely love more than one person. And there is no such thing as a perfect relationship, nor should we support the notion that there is. I think from my perspective, polyamory by some is the notion that the primary force ranks the relationship. I don't think it's that easy. It can be much more complicated. Uh, with the transparency that comes with poly, ethically non-monogamy, there's only the need to be honest and respectful in how you feel and who you want to be with at a given time, day, week, or other period of your life. Written submission number one. I am 35 years old, as is my husband, and I was 18 when ENM entered my life. I'm bisexual, and my partner at the time, not my current husband, was a horny college kid who thought it was super cool to have three ways with other chicks. We began meeting girls at frat parties and Vegas trips who wanted to try out being with a girl. My boyfriend and I found our relationship to be progressive in that we were being open and honest about wanting to be with other women, and doing so without the lying and the cheating— with my current husband, on our first date, he said, I just want you to know I don't believe in monogamy. And I told him, great, because I'm bi, and you alone don't have all the body parts that would satisfy me. For the first three years of my relationship with my husband, we would use seeking arrangements to find girls to bring in, or try to hook up with women at bars. They would stay with us for a night, or we've even flown girls out to be with us for a weekend. But right now, I have two children under the age of four, and I'm a stay-at-home mom, aka I don't have the time or energy to troll for tail, and especially to meet up with anyone. So my current arrangement with my husband is that when he travels, which he does a lot, he can find girls whenever he wants to. The boundaries are that he always has to wear a condom, and he can never have sex with the same woman twice thus lowering the risk of having a relationship outside of our marriage. This is a rule that he actually established as he seeks sexual pleasure with women, not emotional comfort. Regardless, the truth is you can fall in love with anyone at any time. Someone you work with, the grocery store, wherever. In the past, and whenever I'm ready again to bring women into my life, I can be with any woman by myself or with my husband as many times as I want, because I enjoy the emotional and sexual connection. My husband is not comfortable with me being with a man, and I agree. One penis is enough for me. However, if my mind were to change, we would have an adult conversation about it. People believe it isn't fair if one partner is engaging in sex with others and the other person is not. Like right now, where my husband is having sex with women outside of our relationship and I am having sex with just him. I believe in phases of life. I intend to be with my husband until his balls and my boobs sag to the floor. For a few years while I'm in the weeds with these kids, he is getting hella sexy adventures while I'm up to my eyeballs in baby poop. But guess what? In a few years, I may have two or three girlfriends myself while he's building a business and he'd be super happy I'm getting what I need at that moment. 
I think most people also assume it's a shit show and everyone can do whatever they want whenever they want. I've seen ENM relationships like this and it was extremely toxic. The many friends that we have that are non-monogamous have rules that are ever-changing. Everyone meets with their partner whenever someone feels uncomfortable or they have yearly check-ins where they state what worked and what didn't. My family doesn't know because I feel like my sexual preferences are none of their business. We don't sit around the Thanksgiving table speaking about their love of doggy style or golden showers, so I don't feel it necessary to share our sexual preferences the same way. My husband and I are so open about our sexual and emotional desires. With successful ENM relationships, you really have to put yourself out there on what you want, need, and also what you're not comfortable with. In the beginning of our relationship, we would tell each other everything about our extramarital relationships. Once I became pregnant and decided I didn't want to engage with relationships with women at that time, he told me about an experience he had with two women and I became mad. Not because I was jealous of those other women, but because I didn't get to be with them. So we decided to just not tell each other anything to stop feelings from coming up. It works well for us. I think there's a hidden sixth love language, and that is trust. This is an area where extreme trust is given from one partner to another. It strengthens our relationship, not hurts it. Monogamy hasn't been realistic in my life because I found men and women to cheat if they're not satisfied. The deception of cheating is horrific to me, and I'd rather just be honest about desires and find a way to work someone's fantasies into the relationship. If their fantasy is something I'm down with, great, let's do it. If they want to be with someone else, I want them to be happy. And what's wrong with having your cake and eating it too? That sounds like an amazing proposition. My husband loves me. I'm a petite blonde woman and him having the desire to have a fun sexual experience with a curvy redhead doesn't mean that he loves me any less. If anything, after he engages in sex with another person, he has an even greater appreciation for me. He likes to say that he loves all types of ice cream, so why should he be expected to only eat butterscotch his entire life? I think our relationship will always be evolving as we grow as humans. As our jobs, living situations, and friendships change, so will our sex life. I am 29 years old right now, and I have been polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous for about 11 years. When I was 17, I started college at UC Berkeley, which is an extremely liberal place to go to college. The word queer and polyamory were presented to me right away, and I instantly felt seen. I'm very attracted to deep love and intimacy. I also crave total freedom. Some relationships, I am only fluid bonded with one partner, which means that I'm only having sex with one partner unprotected. That's really how I prefer to do it for safety reasons. But some partners also, there's been physical boundaries around sex. Sometimes I've explored my partner having what's called veto power, where they can say, no, I'm not comfortable with you sleeping with this person. And so for me, it's really about what the relationship with the other person is calling forth. I think that this openness to the ebbs and flows of life, as we are all human and we all go through them, is really what makes ethical non-monogamy a stronger and better choice for me. The other piece of it is that oftentimes in monogamy, we get a false sense of security. And this is what occurred in me. When my partner tells me I only want to sleep with you, I get to grab on to that sense of security. And therefore, my sense of security is external. It's not coming from within me. Whereas when my partner says, I want to sleep with these, all these people and you're one of them and right now I'm choosing you or right now I'm not choosing you, that means that my sense of security comes from within myself. It comes from my integrity and my values, the ways that I view my own success. 
it's supported by the other relationships in my life, not just my romantic partnership. And that for me has been more beneficial for my spiritual growth. Confronting jealousy is another one of those ways that we can grow a lot. Rather than completely avoiding any possibility of jealousy, which by the way is not possible. And so about four years ago, I started really owning that. I mostly have primary partnerships with men and I started telling them, I want to watch you fuck other women. This is not this like awkward byproduct that has to happen because we're having a threesome or you're just going to do it in private because we're polyamorous. Like, no, I want to watch and I don't even want to be involved. I don't want to either you'd be touching me or need anything. I want to sit over here and just watch. That's like cuck holding or for me, like cuck queen. Which once I really identified that and didn't feel shame around that anymore, it's really opened up so many more possibilities. And the reality that these edgy feelings turn me on a lot. The other really important piece about ethical non-monogamy that I want to speak to probably more than anything is honesty. I think that is what makes it the best relationship choice is because you're forced to be completely honest about the other people you're dating, the other people you're having sex with, the other people you're attracted to, what you need in a relationship, what you want, what the future holds for both of you. There's not a clinging to any sort of one idea. I mean, hopefully that's the goal, right? Is that there's not attachment. There is deep love and intimacy. And there might be some fear around losing the relationship. But more often than not, we're not going to lose each other. In my experiences, I don't lose the people in my life that I date just because we stopped dating. Because we spend so much time in our relationship being fully honest that it doesn't come as this massive blow if we end the romantic or sexual part of our relationship. My exes are some of my best friends. They're some of the most important people in my life because of that. And that's one of the strongest benefits of ethical non-monogamy. The final thing that I want to say is that you can do your relationships however you want and you don't have to use the label of monogamy and polyamory. I like to view monogamy purely as a sexual boundary, which is a valid choice and not any kind of excuse or permission to own or possess your partner. And what I like to say is we take the theories and ideas from polyamory and if you want to apply that to a relationship with a closed sexual boundary, awesome. But everyone can benefit from learning the theories of free and open love. I'm 30 and started exploring the scene with my wife at 27. The catalyst for getting involved was cohabitation. We'd come up against a very real divergence in libido, and there was a lot of misunderstanding and frustration on both ends. I was also fairly recently out as bi and didn't want to indefinitely limit my sexual experience. I started reading up on the lifestyle, and my partner and I started talking about it on our honeymoon. We had a longer conversation about it at home and decided to move forward together as a couple. Being in New York made getting involved fairly easy, and since both my partner and I are artists, there weren't the sort of barriers or precautions one might feel they need to take as, say, someone working in tech or finance. Most of our friends were curious about it and even intrigued by it and it was a fairly seamless transition overall. My family don't know. Our friends were mainly accepting. Most of the judgment has come from single people we've met on the apps, which can be skeptical or outright dismissive. Everybody who practices non-monogamy has their own approach. Some people are very regimented in their hierarchy, some are total relationship anarchists, and date multiple people with the same intentions. Ours is fairly straightforward. We have each other as primaries who live together and spend the majority of our time together, and we date other people separately and together. We established a boundary on external relationships and that neither of us are looking for anything beyond a friends with benefits scenario with other people. We're pretty consistently on dating apps, but they're just as miserable as they are for everybody else, and occasionally we go to events and meetups. Events can be fun, but we don't frequent them often. In my experience, play parties can be overwhelming, but a lot of fun. 
especially if you know a couple people already. Dating apps are both essential and exhausting. People flake or ghost or match just to tell you how interesting your lifestyle is or isn't. In New York, finding community isn't hard, although I will say finding diversity in the community can be a challenge. Monogamy never felt right to me. I watched my parents' marriage fall apart over a decade, and it left an indelible impression on me. I've always had a free spirit, and I've never sought out long-term relationships, only until fairly recently. And even then, the situation was a complicated one. I think monogamy isn't for everyone, and people who attempt to force themselves to adopt a lifestyle and relationship structure that doesn't serve them or their fulfillment are doomed to failure and dissatisfaction. I don't think E&M is a better choice definitively, but monogamy shouldn't be the only choice. People often ask, what if your partner falls in love with someone else? And my response is that people forget that monogamous relationships are no guarantee of fidelity. People in conventional relationships lie, deceive, and cheat on each other all the time. Just because you're not openly having sex with other people doesn't mean you don't want to or won't try to. Non-monogamous relationship structures are vulnerable to toxicity and failure too, but I don't think it's necessarily a question of structure, but the individuals within it and their commitment to each other. I love and trust my partner, and one benefit of non-monogamy for us has been transparency. If I'm attracted to someone else, I communicate it to my partner, and then they can process it, and vice versa. One of my biggest revelations in this lifestyle has been how culturally afraid of infidelity we are. It's a major plot point in almost every TV show where it's portrayed as apocalyptic from a relationship standpoint. Jealousy exists and needs to be actively addressed and acknowledged, not suppressed, sure. But the first time I had a group experience with my partner and saw her with someone else, I felt liberated. Not only did I not feel bad, I felt excited for her, what's known in the community as compersion. After our initial experience, I felt I could be totally honest and transparent with my partner about anything. I think the biggest differences between monogamous and non-monogamous relationship dynamics is the degree of transparency involved. To have a functional non-monogamous structure, you need to be upfront with your partners about what you want, what your boundaries are, and where you are emotionally. This obviously requires a lot of active maintenance and attention, but I feel like it's a degree of maintenance and attention people in monogamous relationships forego and often take for granted. People change, desires change, dynamics change, and you need to keep actively communicating all of the above to the people in your life if you want to maintain healthy relationships with them. One of the biggest misconceptions I've encountered is the belief everyone in the scene is unattractive. I think a lot of unconventional people are attracted to an unconventional lifestyle, and that drives the narrative that it's a hedonistic lifestyle reserved for weirdos and freaks. There's certainly a more countercultural element, but there are all sorts of people who find it preferable to monogamy, from models and sex workers and queer folks to Will and Jada. I think non-monogamy is absolutely something I'd like to maintain forever. I find monogamy inherently stifling and constraining, and regardless of how fulfilling the relationship might be, I think I'll, I would always carry with me a sense of restlessness. I started exploring ethical or consensual non-monogamy or polyamory when I moved to New York over eight years ago and I saw the term non-monogamy on a dating app I was on. I didn't understand what that was, but I thought it sounded more applicable to what I was looking for other than monogamy. I personally had a really unique upbringing of living between two families. So my entire life, I never had that solid yoke family experience. Marriage and monogamy to me looked like prison based on the more often toxic examples of couples I was exposed to. When I started actively labeling myself as non-monogamous, I started doing the homework to understand what I was identifying with. And I read books like Sex at Dawn by Chris Ryan that were recommended to me amongst many other books. And through my research phase, I very quickly understood that I've just always had a tendency for non-monogamy, for kink, for group play, and was just always attracted to all genders. I feel like I started building community when I found myself dating this one specific partner really consistently. And we had gotten to the point in our relationship where we wanted to define what our connection would look like. We decided we wanted to see people together and also still see people separately. We were comfortable being open around certain family members on his side. But when it came to my family, I was a little bit more reserved because I just felt like they couldn't understand at the time, even though they were happy to meet him. Since that primary relationship de-escalated about five years ago, I've been exploring being solo poly or solo polyam on my own, and it's honestly been very natural. It's basically what I was doing before I even met that partner, and now I'm just doing it with this newfound sense of self and knowing what I want out of my relationships and how I connect to the world in all capacities from platonic to work or otherwise. 
all of my experiences have really enriched my perspective of how I explore intimacy with myself and with others. And that goes for dynamics with a partner in an intimate setting to larger group dynamics with a number of partners to play parties. And I found for myself, I feel most comfortable in a friend group type of play setting. But being in a city like New York City, it's honestly so many opportunities await people in the non-monogamous poly or kink community. They're just so organized. So I've come across a number of different events through people that I've met personally or through mutual connections. And the upside of having all this kind of community available is that people can be held accountable for their actions. People can be recommended within a friend circle. It can be really positive for people who want to be involved. It's not necessary to be involved, but it's there if people want to. Because honestly, assholes are everywhere. There are monogamous assholes. There's non-monogamous assholes. And I personally would like to avoid them. So why non-monogamy? Well, because why not know what all the colors of the rainbow are before you choose your favorite color? You know, I think society has given us this impression that we're allowed to expand our relationships and our connections and ourself and so many other different aspects. But when it comes to intimacy, it's this idea that it's closed off and it's exclusive and that it's one person or whatever. And I think if you go back to the origins of monogamy, it stems from agriculture. It was very like business transactional and very possessive. Like this is my land. This is my woman. These are my kids. This is my cattle. And if you go back before that, it was much more community-based, much more like survival of the group, right? And I'm not suggesting we need to go back to tribal times unless people want that. Moving on, it's not about me to tell people who to sleep with or who not to sleep with. I'm somebody who takes my safety and sexual health very seriously, so I seek out people who have similar values for themselves and for the people that they're intimate with. I have boundaries for myself when it comes to sex and sleepovers when I first meet someone. So for example, I don't always sleep over the first time I hook up with somebody, and I also don't always hook up with somebody the first time I meet them. Can those things happen on a first date? Totally. It 100% just depends on the connection and the person I'm engaging with, if they're involved in non-monogamy or new, if they're in the community or not, how transparent this person is, the kind of boundaries that we're both sharing. I also take into consideration the impact a new connection could have on my pre-existing connections, which isn't necessary. I just really value my regular and long-term partners and sometimes like to introduce people to other poly-positive people. When it comes to feelings of jealousy, I will say the first thing you should do is ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Is it possible that it's stemming from a personal insecurity or past trauma? Or maybe I'm feeling really stressed from my week and I need some extra self-care from a partner or myself. Or maybe I've just discovered I want more of something in my connection with my partner. With my first open relationship, I had confrontations with my at the time primary partner that solidified how differently we navigated non-monogamy. This often left me feeling like things weren't always resolved, even though I embraced the idea that we were doing things differently and I appreciated that we were different people. It just turned out that my intuition was telling me we weren't always really compatible as primaries. And I also had let my self-care practice subside. And essentially what I've gotten out of that experience is that I've learned through experiencing jealousy from past friends, from past family members, and from open relationship dynamics is that jealousy can be your teacher if you let it show you things about yourself and the people you were having conflict with. I think the biggest misconception about this community is that everybody is sleeping with everybody. Literally not the case. Just because I'm bisexual doesn't mean I hook up with anything with legs. I'm super picky about people I'm attracted to and feel safe connecting with. When it comes to my future with non-monogamy versus monogamy, I will say I've made my peace with monogamy and I'm no longer thinking that it's prison. I think it just really depends that you are picking a person who makes a good teammate, that you have a solid, tangible, and meaningful future when it comes to your shared goals. I think marriage can be like an amazing business partnership, honestly, if people are intentional, supportive, they have a satisfying sex life. And they make a great team in the face of conflict. You know, just like gender and orientation can be fluid and a part of someone's journey, so can relationship styles. I'm 30 years old. I live in Brooklyn and I am part of a throuple. We just got married last year, the three of us. And I met them five years ago. And I was introduced to the idea of being poly by them. Really, I met one of them 
and then we started dating and I kind of begged him to introduce me to his husband and uh, you know a few months later I met the husband and now we are all together in our little thruple. The current setup is a polyamorous triad, meaning we can do pretty much whatever we want. We have no rules as long as we are respecting each other. Non-monogamy is pretty common in the gay community, though it seems like most couples only fuck around together. You get a lot of grinder profiles that say only play together, two looking for third, etc coming out, so to speak, as, you know, joining a couple or being a, a, a thruple or, you know, being a quote-unquote third. I think there's a lot of judgment from the community that, you know, I was the new addition, I am the bottom, I am, you know, the play toy, the play thing. And it took a while, I think, for even my friends to come around to the idea that this is something serious. My family knows that I'm in a thruple, but I don't bring up the fact that we're poly just because that feels like too much information for them. The biggest societal misconception about being poly, I think, is that it's not a serious relationship. It's what I felt at the beginning of telling people that I was poly is that people didn't take it seriously you know, as opposed to a monogamous relationship, I think. I think it kind of, societally, uh, we've undercut the idea that someone can love more than one person. Both monogamy and polyamory present its challenges. I was in a very serious, seriously monogamous uh, relationship prior to this, and, you know, it presented its own set of challenges. I felt stifled sexually, I felt not heard, you know, on some levels when it came to my own sexual needs, and, you know, it definitely caused a lot of tension um, in the relationship. And then in this relationship in polyamory, you know, I am having those sexual needs met, but it presents a whole new set of, you know, emotions like jealousy and um, self-worth, self-regard. One time we went to a party and we had all individually been talking to this twink on Grinder, and we had decided that like, yeah, you know, we'll check him out, see if he's cool and maybe take him home that night. And, you know, myself and one of my partners had met with him at the party and had kind of decided that he was a little weird. He was on some drugs. And then my other partner had met him individually. And then, you know, I didn't voice that he wasn't, <laughs> that I wasn't into him. And then my other partner started like making out with him and I got really jealous. And instead of, you know, voicing that, I stewed for about half an hour and then I slapped this twink in the middle of the party and we had to leave the party. I think polyamory just creates a space to explore more than monogamy, then if anything, I think it kind of takes the pressure off of your partner because then they don't necessarily have to check every box that you have. You know, if I'm into BDSM or choking or feet, then I can go find that elsewhere and not necessarily rely on, have to rely on my partner to fulfill my every need. I think, you know, in this relationship, as we move forward, I think we'll probably, you know, find ourselves in circumstances that find us in a more monogamous practice. So it'll be interesting to see as we move forward how, you know, having a kid moving to the suburbs affects our polyamory practices. I'm 28 years old and I didn't start exploring a poly or ENM relationship until I was in college. I have known that I was bisexual since I was really young. Uh, when I was in 12th grade, I was asked out by who my current partner is now. 
And I said to him that I was not interested in a serious or a monogamous relationship as a 17-year-old because I'm bi. And he completely understood. And when we started dating, it was not supposed to be exclusive. I think that that's kind of a word that is used when you don't quite know that that's the that ENM or poly is the direction that you are going in with your relationship. We've been together almost 13 years and for 12 of those years we did not know anyone else that was non-monogamous or had a relationship similar to ours. About a year ago, I downloaded this app called Field and I met a woman on that app who I started seeing and she introduced me to this huge community of people who identify as lifestyle so essentially, they just have big sex parties and sleep with all of their friends. And my partner and I started going to those parties. And it's been kind of an interesting change in our dynamic that we've had for 10 years before. I don't experience any shame or negative emotions around being ENM or poly, but I have not told my family. I absolutely know that my family would not care that I'm queer but I don't think that they would understand ENM poly dynamics. And I don't feel that my sex life is any of my family's business. If and when I start dating somebody in addition to my primary partner, I would absolutely introduce them to my family proudly as my partner. That just has not been the case. My partner and I are married, and so he is my primary partner, and he does not date on his own. I have encouraged him to, but he just doesn't have an interest in dating on his own. And to be fair, he said it's a lot harder to find women who want to date a married man than it is to find men who want to date a married woman, or in my case, women who want to date a married woman. So at this moment, I am kind of dating, mostly just casually sleeping with other women. Sometimes he participates, sometimes he watches, but it is pretty casual. We didn't find the term ENM on purpose. Uh, we didn't define our relationship by any, um, you know, texts like polysecure or, you know, all these texts that are talking about kitchen table poly or kitchen table ENM. We just kind of naturally fell into this pattern. I will say that the way that it started was like 2013, we had a friend who we had a threesome with. And we kind of realized that that was fun. And being a bi woman in a relationship with a man, I felt like that was kind of the definition of having my cake and eating it too. Still having my loved one close, my partner, but also having freedom to sleep with others and also something that we can do together. I do feel that I have a really atypical perspective on jealousy or possessiveness or feeling like I'm going to lose my partner. I have in the last 10 plus years not felt like that. I don't know if it's just how my relationship is or what, but I just, I have complete faith in my partner that any, you know, relationship that either of us enter into will end with a friendship or end dissolving, but it's not going to affect my relationship with my partner. And I think that that has what has enabled us to be successful, you know, in this dynamic for such a long time. I do think that ideally I would like to move away from this lifestyle community because there's a lot of partying and a lot of drug use that I just don't partake in or relate to. But ideally I would move more towards a poly relationship where Maybe I had a girlfriend that lived with us or that was just best friends with my partner or was also seeing my partner, something like that. Once again, degenerate ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who identify as neither, I'm Allie Weiss and you've been listening to Tales of Taboo. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, all at Ali Weiss World, and the podcast on TikTok at Tales of Taboo. If you enjoyed what you heard, and you know what, especially if you didn't, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. It's truly the quickest and easiest way to support the show. 
I know all podcasters ask for this, but my case is unique because the easier it is for new listeners to find the show, the more anonymous confessions we potentially have access to and the bigger and more impactful the show can become. I also have the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings emblazoned with Degenerate available as merch, which you can purchase from me via Instagram DM. Again, that's at Ali Weiss World. I have sizes small through 2XL available. Tales of Taboo is conceived, produced, and narrated by me, Ali Weiss. Audio production by Isabel McMahon, Christophopoulos, WTF Media, and Gotham Production. Cover photo by Erica Flynn. Cover art by Kristen Montenegro. Theme song by Christathopoulos. And, of course, none of this would be possible without the time, effort, and trust of each and every anonymous confessor. From the bottom of my heart, thank you.